You are listening to audio from Liberty Church in the Harrisburg Camp Hill area of Pennsylvania. For more information, please visit www.LibertyHarrisburg.org. That's Liberty with an I, Harrisburg.org. If you have Bibles, uh, we're going to be in 1 John chapter 4 this morning. That's uh, going to be on page 1023 of the black hardcover Bibles under most of your seats. As you're turning there, just a couple other quick celebrations to share with you this morning. Um, two churches that we had the joy of helping plant some years back are, are each celebrating milestone anniversaries today. Uh, so Liberty Church in Collingswood, New Jersey, are celebrating 10 years this morning. Uh, they planted about a year after us, and we got to be part of, of supporting them financially as they were beginning that uh, work there. So Jim and Emily and the rest of their team there in Collingswood celebrating 10 years today. We'll pray for them during um, Praise of the People this morning. We'll also pray for Epiphany Gloucester City, Joe and Christy Marlin. Uh, Epiphany is celebrating five years uh, of being a church this morning. It's their fifth anniversary today. Uh, they're a church that we get to continue to support and, and financially, especially in the work that they're doing in Gloucester City, New Jersey. And so even as Elise was sharing about Midtown Community Church and the, the fundraising we're doing for that, the partnership we have to see this new church planted, I uh, just wanted to celebrate with you that the work that you've done in the years gone by is still bearing fruit today. There are churches that continue to exist and are celebrating anniversaries uh, because of what God's done through you and through this church family. So thank you for that. Thank you for considering giving to Midtown and other works that we're part of. And just would reiterate Elisa's invitation to join in praying and fasting for Liberty Tampa tomorrow uh, with Pastor John and Jess and the rest of their core team that God would just continue to add uh, people and finances to their, their numbers there. Well, after a quick break, uh, we're going to jump back into 1 John this morning. Uh, chapter 3, if you were with us two weeks ago, Greg was up here instead of on the floor two Sundays ago, uh, and he was saying, he was preaching from the end of chapter 3, where the Apostle John says that one of the greatest sources of assurance we have as Christians is the Holy Spirit, that God has given his Spirit to dwell within us, and by that, we know that we abide. We know that we belong to God. The start of chapter four, John is going to follow up that truth with a caution. He's going to say, there are other spirits. Not all spirits are from God. Back in chapter two, John warned that many antichrists have come. In today's text, he's picking up that same idea, but, but he's exposing the unseen spiritual realm beneath it. It's not just that there are false prophets, people who teach things that are lies, that are not true about Jesus and about God, but false prophets are empowered by false spirits. And so Christians have to test the spirits. The language that John uses in today's text is the language of testing coins, differentiating the genuine from the counterfeit. And with coins or with any kind of currency, uh, it's been pointed out by experts over the years that the best way to pinpoint a counterfeit is not to actually study the counterfeits a ton. It's to become deeply familiar with the genuine article. The better you know the real thing, in other words, the easier it becomes to spot the fakes. And in a lot of ways, I think the same principle applies when it comes to the spirit of God and the false spirits or the spirit of the Antichrist, as, as John refers to it. For most of us in, in this room who feel probably most at home, if we feel at home at all in a church, because not all of us feel at home, but if we do feel at home in a church, most of us feel at home in, in Protestant, uh, evangelical, reformed tribes of Christianity. Most of us, therefore, don't have to be convinced there are counterfeits. 
that there are false spirits out there. The question for most of us this morning is, do we know the genuine article? Do we know the Spirit of God? Or have we become so functionally neglectful of the third person of the Trinity that to us, every coin now looks like a counterfeit? Every expression of spiritual power now looks like a false spirit. John writes this text not only so that you can spot the fake, certainly part of what he's doing here, but because the Holy Spirit assures us that we belong to God, because the Holy Spirit is the source of our strength, it's the way that we will overcome false prophets and false spirits. John is writing so that you might actually know the genuine. He is writing so that you may know the Spirit of God. So let me pray for us, and then we're going to dive into our text today. God of life, your spirit raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Your spirit inspired the prophets and the apostles, the writers of scripture. Your spirit draws us to Christ and helps us to acknowledge him as Lord. And so we ask even now that you would send your Holy Spirit to give deeper insight and encouragement and faith and hope through the proclamation of your revealed word. Spirit of God, we pray that you would help us to truly know you today. We pray that all in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you now to listen with open ears to this book that we love. This is 1 John chapter 4, and I'll read verses 1 through 6. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this, you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Verse 4, little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world. Therefore, they speak from the world and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this, we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. This is God's word. As he calls Christians to test the spirits, John here offers two measures, two specific things that we are to examine. And we're going to spend the rest of our time this morning looking at each of those things. One is confession and the other is reception. One is confession, in other words, examine what is being said, and the other is reception, who is listening to what is being said. So first, let's talk about confession. One of the the clearest ways we have to test the spirits is by what the spirit confesses. Behind each prophet, behind each person who is proclaiming something about God and something about the world or our role in the world, There is some spiritual power. The question is, what message is that spiritual power proclaiming? What is being said? The Holy Spirit, John writes here, confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. And false spirits, spirits that are not from God, demonic spirits, do not confess that. So on the one hand, it's that simple. On the one hand, it's that simple. The primary work of the Holy Spirit, especially on this side of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, the primary work of the Spirit of God is to bear witness about Jesus. 
Jesus says in John chapter 16, he, meaning the Holy Spirit, will glorify me for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. And so this would mean, for example, that that any demonstration of spiritual power, because that happens sometimes. There are things that happen in life that defy our rational and natural categories. There are supernatural occurrences. Any demonstration of spiritual power from a different religion or a cult is not from God. If If a Muslim or a Hindu or a Buddhist cleric if a leader or a member of a cult performs some kind of supernatural feat that you don't have a category for, that very well might be empowered. It very well might be supernatural. It's just not Holy Spirit empowered. Just like there were magicians in Egypt who performed, who were able to imitate aspects of the 10 plagues, the things that Moses and Aaron were able to do. Or just like in the book of Acts, Simon the sorcerer, He amazed a lot of people with the feats that he could accomplish, with the magic that he did. He imitated some of the things that the apostles could do. Power can come from radically different sources. And so on the one hand, the the, the confession test that John gives us here is simple. Does this person through whom this spiritual power is speaking, does this person confess Jesus? Is that who they are trying to get you to focus on? Is that who they're trying to get you to worship. Now, on the other hand, there's actually a a lot packed into what John writes here. It's that simple, but there's also more to it. Remember that the primary threat to the readers of this letter that John is writing, the primary threat to the readers is not coming from people who are obviously opposed to Jesus. It's coming from people who once were part of the church, part of the community of Christians, but who now have left but who still are confessing something about Jesus. They're still talking about Jesus. What we we come to find out here is they aren't confessing everything. They're confessing some things. They're not confessing everything. Specifically, they are not confessing that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. They are not confessing both his complete divinity and his complete humanity. The opponents in 1 John, they were champions of Uh, what what came to be known as Gnosticism. They were champions of an early form of Gnosticism. And so they had a disdain for the material, physical aspects of life. And so they were actually fine with the idea that Jesus was fully divine. They were okay with that. They were okay with the idea that Jesus was was a supernatural being that came into the world and he was fully divine. But the idea that Jesus took on flesh and was fully human, that was offensive. That was repulsive to them. The problem is, and why John is so bold in his assertions here, is that if Jesus is not fully human, you and I are still enslaved to our sin. We're still in our sin. The whole reason Jesus took on flesh was to save fully human people like you and like me. In Hebrews chapter 2, the author of Hebrews says, Since the children, that is us, it's us, share in flesh and blood, Jesus himself partook of the same things that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death. And the author of Hebrews continues, Jesus had to be made like his brothers in every respect, fully human, every respect, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. In other words, no incarnation means no propitiation. And no propitiation means no salvation. That's how important the full humanity of Jesus is. And you see here, one of the best ways for Satan, one of the best ways for demonic spirits to actually be deceitful 
is to remain really close to the truth. Really close to the truth. Remember, evil spirits, demonic spirits, they actually have pretty good theology. They have more accurate theology than most human beings do. When Jesus interacted with evil spirits during his life and earthly ministry, they knew who he was. James writes that, that the demons even believe that God is one, that he is united, he is one God, and they shudder. They have a good theology. And they use their theology, they use that accuracy to deceive. They will get close to the truth, but then change or omit something essential. And so here, confessing Jesus' divinity, they reject his humanity. And it's close enough that it's actually deceitful, that it's actually drawing some people away from this church community. It seems small, but it's really the difference between truly confessing Jesus Christ and confessing some other false God. Now, what might some of this look like for us? You very may well see incredible manifestations of spiritual power in your life. That may have happened around you. That may have happened to you. Things you don't have a a rational or natural category for. And in those moments, you'll have to discern what spirit is behind that manifestation. Is this from God or is this not from God? But there are also other more everyday ways that you and I are called to test the spirits specifically by examining their confession, like John says here. Let me just share two two examples. There, There are many, but here's two. One would actually be the opposite error that the opponents are making here in 1 John. So they were rejecting Jesus' full humanity. Today, in our day, at least in our time and place, it's way more common for people to reject Jesus' full divinity. People tend to be more okay with his humanity in our day, not as okay with his full divinity. Uh, This is prevalent even in pockets across the broader Christian traditions. Uh, For example, a lot of uh, Protestant mainline denominations for many decades have differentiated now between what they would call the Jesus of history and the Christ of faith. The Jesus of history being like, we're okay with Jesus as a historical human being. He walked the face of the earth. He taught people. He had followers. We're not okay with the divinity of Jesus. That's the Christ of faith. That's what some people believe All that stuff actually just originated as a legend that the disciples, the followers of Jesus, made up after Jesus died. Uh, And a lot of those churches, some of you might belong to them right now. Some of you have family and friends that are part of them. A lot of those churches still meet for worship every Sunday. They still uh, sing and preach and take communion every week. And a lot of the words and the prayers and the liturgy is accurate At the end of the day, the question is, are you confessing that Jesus is from God? Are you confessing that Jesus is both fully human and fully divine? And I would just suggest this morning, if if you've wondered why it seems like a lot of those denominations are, are hurting in recent years, are splitting over other kinds of issues, are imploding in some ways, I would say this is actually the foundational reason why. You don't You don't wake up one morning and just start teaching that that everything about God's creation design is designed for things like gender or things like sexuality. You don't just wake up one morning and think, you know what, all of that's completely wrong. We're going to do something completely different. It starts with maybe Jesus isn't fully divine. Maybe there's some legend that the early followers kind of mixed in here. And then the Bible moves from being a, a supreme authority for our lives to just having some authority. For our lives. And then the, the resurrection 
moves from being a flesh and blood, literal resurrection of Jesus from the grave to maybe just a spiritual resurrection. Maybe he was just alive again in their hearts with them in spirit. Underneath those messages, that's the demonic spirit that John is talking about here. That is the spirit of the Antichrist. People might affirm his humanity fully today, Jesus' humanity, but if they don't affirm his full divinity, that's the spirit of the Antichrist underneath it. One more example. In recent years, a really common tactic that I think is, is fueled a lot by evil spirits, by demonic spirits, is when a pastor or maybe an ex-pastor or a Christian that has some kind of platform starts to ask questions and not answer them. Start to ask a lot of questions and not answer them. So would a loving God really send someone to hell? It's a hard question. Would God really create someone and love someone who has deep desires that God doesn't want them to fulfill, that God doesn't want them to pursue? Now, I'm going to be the first to admit, and if you've been part of this church, hopefully you've heard me say this before, some things belong to the deep mystery of God. He is other and he is infinite. His ways are not our ways. They're higher than our ways. But some hard questions still have answers. And and this deceitful tactic of, of asking questions but not answering them is really, at the end of the day, just a subtle, sneaky form of lying. It's really slippery. People say, hey, I'm just asking. I'm not denying or rejecting what Christians have taught for centuries. Not yet. I'm just asking. And I would invite you to see this morning, it's actually the very same tactic Satan himself used in the Garden of Eden. It's actually how sin came into the world in the first place. He said to Adam and Eve, did God really say you shouldn't eat from all the trees? I'm not saying he didn't say that. I'm just just asking. I'm just asking. So don't be deceived when people ask questions, but refuse to answer them with faithful confessions. It doesn't make them insightful. It doesn't make them clever. There's like pockets of people in our world who just love that. They just love when people ask questions and don't answer them. And it always reminds me of the the Wes Anderson film, The Royal Tenenbaums. I don't know if you guys have seen that movie or not. Uh, The Royal Tenenbaums, Owen Wilson plays this historian, kind of a lazy historian, but he's become kind of famous. And he's famous for for doing this, essentially. So uh, he's proposing an idea for a new book. And he says, you know how everybody knows that Custer died at the Battle of Little Bighorn? And everyone's like, yeah. He's like, what I'm saying is maybe he didn't. And he writes a whole book based on that premise. And it's like, that's what, that's what people do in, the, in, in Christian subcultures at times. That's what people do in our world when they want to sound clever. They ask questions that actually have answers and then they refuse to answer them. Don't be deceived by that. Under the surface, whatever mouthpiece that's coming from under the surface, that is what John is writing about here. That's the spirit of the Antichrist. It's the false spirits that are not from God. Now, it's okay to have questions about what you believe. It's normal. It's good to wrestle with doubt, to wrestle with hard truths that are in the Bible that have been revealed by God. But if you want to discern the genuine from the counterfeit, don't just listen to people who are asking questions. Listen to people who have wrestled to a place of answering them. Listen to people who have wrestled with the hard truths and have still been able to land confessing the full divinity and the full humanity of Jesus. That's the spirit of God. That's the spirit of God. Men and women test the spirits. The spirit of God is never just asking. The spirit of God is confessing 
John says. Spirit of God is confessing that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. So confession is the first thing to examine. But as John continues here in this text, we don't just consider what is being said. We consider who is listening. Second, let's talk about reception. Reception. In verses 4 through 6, John starts to differentiate between three different groups of people. You, they, and we. So really quickly, let's just define each of those groups. You, verse 4, are Christians. All Christians. Children of God. They, verse 5, are the false prophets through whom these false spirits, the spirit of the Antichrist, are speaking and acting. And then we, verse 6, is John and the other apostles, the authoritative and trusted messengers who have been teaching not only these readers, the readers of this letter, but also Christians around the Mediterranean world about Jesus. And that third point about the we, in that group called the we, is really important here. Because an ordinary, random person that just claims to be a Christian cannot and should not say stuff like this. If I were to stand up here on a Sunday and say, hey, whoever knows God agrees with me. And whoever disagrees with me, they're actually not from God. That's how cults start. Uh, That's how cults start. That's how spiritual abuse happens. Horrible things happen when someone stands up there and says, if you disagree with me, you disagree with God. An ordinary Christian should not say that. But John, John is not an average ordinary Christian. He is an apostle with a capital A. So he is one, and a lot of you know this about his life, he's one who walked with Jesus. He's one who stood at the foot of Jesus' cross. He is one who ran to the empty tomb and ran there faster than Peter. Thank you very much. You know, he includes that in a little detail in his writing. John is one who saw the risen Jesus with his own eyes. He's one who Jesus breathed on so that he would receive the Holy Spirit. He's one who had a tongue of fire descend and rest above his head. He's one who was uniquely entrusted to be Jesus' witness with the only good news that can rescue people from Satan's sin and death. So you and I should never say this. John has to say this. We need John to say this. If he doesn't, who else can? Who else Will, how will the truth of the gospel be established and preserved and passed on faithfully? And therein lies John's point. Reception matters. Reception matters. We don't only test the message. We test to see if faithful followers of Jesus are listening and are putting it into practice. There's a a deeper connection than we might initially realize between the message and those who hear it. And John can write this because of what Jesus himself taught. In the Gospel of John, which is recorded by the same author, the same John, John chapter 10, Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. See, those who belong to Jesus listen to Jesus. They recognize his voice. They follow. By extension, those who belong to Jesus listen to his entrusted messengers. They listen to the apostles, like like John. In contrast, those who don't belong to Jesus, those who are from the world, gain an audience with the world. They are well-received by the world. And so this is one of the things that we have to examine as we test the spirits. When someone says, when someone proclaims a message, hey, here's something true. Here's something good, and this is from God. 
we have to ask, who's listening to that? Who's agreeing with that? Because here's the reality. The gospel of Jesus Christ is offensive to everyone except those who are being saved by it. And the ethics of God's kingdom are offensive to everyone except those who have entered that kingdom. So if if something is too palatable to the world, if something is too palatable to those who are apart from Jesus, you have to wonder, you have to ask if it really is from God. If something is easy to embrace, if it makes complete sense to your neighbor who at this moment in his or her life wants absolutely nothing to do with Jesus, then you should be concerned that it's not actually from God. And we can try to get a little more specific this morning. Two examples. If the sexual ethic someone is proclaiming in the West, in the 21st century, is palatable to your non-Christian neighbors and friends, to celebrities and to politicians, it is not Jesus Christ's sexual ethic. It's not. That person, that spirit empowering that person is from the world. It's speaking from the world and the world is going to listen to it. If the money ethic someone proclaims, how we're supposed to think about and navigate and steward finances, if that is completely palatable to your non-Christian neighbors and friends, if it would make sense to, to any accountant, any financial advisor, regardless of how they view the world, that is not the biblical ethic about money. You don't have to be a Christian to think that living in a huge house with a couple luxury cars and having a few million stashed away for a comfortable retirement is a good idea. The Spirit of God doesn't have to empower that in you. That's easy to embrace and listen to. That person, that spirit, very well might be from the world, speaking from the world, and the world will listen to it. But radical generosity, living way below your means so you can bless other people, giving to people who in your mind don't deserve it because they haven't worked as hard as you, that actually takes some kind of empowerment from the Spirit of God, far less palatable to the world. And notice here, it's just a couple examples the offense is not one directional. It's not like the gospel is just offensive to progressive people and leaves conservative people alone. It offends everyone except those who are being saved by it. And even we who are being saved by it get offended by it. So let me offer this challenge to you. As a room with a lot of highly educated, respectable people, one of the things you might fear the most, if you're honest with yourself, One of the things you might fear the most this morning is appearing too narrow-minded. One of the things you might fear the most is is appearing as like a caricature of a Christian, what maybe popular culture sees Christians to be like. One of the things you might fear is is living in an echo chamber where you only hear things that you want to hear and never have to confront ideas that are different from the ones you already believe. And I want to say I appreciate that desire to not live in an echo chamber. And as far as that helps us be better students of our culture, better students of the real people that we live and work and play among, we should definitely do that. We should never bury our head in the sand of a Christian subculture and wall ourselves off and pretend like there aren't hurting people that desperately need the good news of Jesus. But in terms of what you receive, in terms of what you take in deeply to your mind and to your heart and to your soul, do not listen to the world. A well-rounded Christian is not someone who mixes the truth with a little bit of error. A well-rounded Christian is not someone who takes the faithful gospel and just sprinkles in a little bit of heresy, who sprinkles in just a little bit of stuff that's more palatable to the world. 
A well-rounded Christian is someone who takes the whole counsel of God. Both the stuff that's naturally easy for you to embrace and the stuff that's really offensive to you naturally and embraces all of it, listens to all of it. That's a well-rounded Christian. And my challenge to you is to be that kind of well-rounded Christian. Not a, not a worldly savvy Christian, but a whole counsel of God Christian. Whether it is from Jesus himself or from his apostles, the sheep hear his voice and listen to it and follow him. Now, in the midst of this passage about testing the spirits, John includes this beautiful truth that Greg got to share with our kids a little while ago. And he says, you, Christian, are from God. And because of that, you have already overcome the false prophets and the spirit of the Antichrist. How? Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. The spirit of God is greater than the demonic spirits of the world. The counterfeits have power. They are deceitful. We have to be discerning. But at the end of the day, John is writing here, it's not an equal fight. Greater is he who is in you. After Jesus Christ died and rose again, he ascended back to the right hand of the Father, and he and the Father together sent the Holy Spirit. And that Spirit, the genuine article, that Spirit is our best defense to all of the counterfeit spirits. If John's original audience in this letter was prone to be uncritical, to embrace everything supernatural is coming from God, then our error this morning is almost certainly the opposite. We're prone to be hypercritical and to attribute any kind of supernatural thing to Satan or demonic spirits. But church, what I, what I need you to see this morning from John's words is how much you need the Spirit of God. And what I want you to see this morning from John's words is, how, is that you already have the Spirit of God. You have the Spirit of God. It's the spirit who enables you to confess the full divinity and the full humanity of Jesus. If you can confess those two things, you have the spirit of God. It's the spirit who enables you to recognize and to hear and to follow the voice of Jesus, to want to be that kind of well-rounded Christian according to the whole counsel of God. If you have that desire in your heart this morning, you have the spirit of God. The spirit brings both deep conviction of sin. The spirit will not affirm everything that you want him to affirm about you in your life. But the Spirit will also bring deep assurance, not leaving you hopeless in condemnation. The Spirit imparts gifts to you. You have been empowered with gifts, not only for your benefit, but to build up other people around you. And the Spirit cultivates fruit in your life. If you can look at your life with a straight face and say, I have in my heart this morning, I have growing, increasing in my life, love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. If you can say that with a straight face about your life, you have the Spirit of God. And so as you test the spirits, and as you examine the confessions and the receptions, may you reject every spiritual power and expression that is not from God. Reject all the ones that are not from God. But at the same time, embrace and cultivate fellowship with the Holy Spirit. Knowing the genuine article more intimately is going to help you identify and reject the counterfeits. And today, as we now prepare to come to this table, rejoice that because of Jesus Christ, you know and you are indwelt by none other than the spirit of the living God. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Amen. Amen. Let me pray for us. Spirit of the living God, having opened your word, God's word to us, 
We ask now that you would open our eyes more and set our hearts aflame, that we may see in the sufferings of Jesus all that the prophets foretold. As we now prepare to come to this table, like those disciples on the first Resurrection Sunday, may we know you in the breaking of the bread. Spirit of God, fill your church, fill this local expression of it with the power that flows from Jesus Christ's resurrection so that in the midst of our broken and sinful world, we may bear witness to the beginning of a renewed humanity, risen to new life with Christ, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Liberty Church. To learn more about our church or to listen to previous recordings, visit www.LibertyHarrisburg.org.